0: Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. The first thing we've got to understand is that when we ask, When should I quit? we're also asking, When should I persevere? And often they serve the same answer I should quit when it doesn't make sense to keep going, and I should keep going when it doesn't make sense to quit. Unfortunately, it's really easy to get those messages mixed up, and with ADHD, we've got a trail of unfinished projects and ideas that are weighing us down every time we need to make that decision again. Today, we're going to be exploring this idea of when to quit, we'll be looking at how culturally we have this idea ingrained in us that we should never quit, and how that's just bad advice. We'll be looking at some of the metrics we can use to decide if quitting is the right choice for us, and we'll also be looking at some of the things that keep us going even when we should really be thinking of quitting. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com/when to quit. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone that if they have a question they'd like me to answer, that they should go to hackingyouradhd.com/contact. I've set up a new feature where you can easily record your question, and if I can, I'll answer it on the show. So if you've got questions, just head over to hackingyouradhd.com/contact and leave me a message. And as an added perk, members of my Patreon get preference on getting their questions answered on the show. All right, keep on listening to find out why you should quit. Wait, no, don't quit right now. Keep listening until after the show. It's pretty telling that while doing research for this episode that I found it incredibly easy to find articles on not quitting, but barely any advice on when it's time to throw in the towel. We get advice about how winners never quit and how we just need to stick it out and eventually we'll be winners too. But there's plenty of things in life where quitting is the right thing to do. I should probably quit eating so many M&Ms. I should quit procrastinating on this episode. But that's not what I'm here to talk about in this episode. Yeah, we should quit our bad habits. We know this. There's no voice in our head saying, Winners never quit eating brownies. Well, maybe there is if it's being a sarcastic little prick. But what's more interesting to explore are the things that we should quit, not because they're bad for us, but because they're leading us to a dead end. What's infuriating about the winners-never-quit mantra is that persistence doesn't guarantee success. In fact, when applied at the wrong times, persistence is guaranteed to lead you to failure. Just think about a TV series that kept going for too many seasons. While looking up examples, I was completely overwhelmed by the number of shows that just went on too long. It's much rarer for a show to hit that magic number where it told the story it wanted to tell before getting cancelled or going well past its shelf life. Or, let's consider Isaac Newton. Yeah, the guy who developed calculus and discovered the laws of gravity. It's hard to argue with his accomplishments. But at the same time, Newton was also obsessed with the occult. He spent years trying to decipher numerology codes he believed were hidden in the Bible that he thought could be used for alchemy. This was something he persisted at for years with no real results, and let me tell you, it wouldn't have mattered how many more years he worked at it because he was pursuing nonsense. We can't do everything, and so when we persist in doing the wrong things, we cut ourselves off from all our other options. With all the great things Newton discovered, imagine what else he could have done if he hadn't invested so much of his time trying to find out how to turn lead into gold. A couple of years ago, I was running a very different podcast on Ultimate Frisbee, but after about 10 episodes, I realized the show wasn't for me. While I enjoyed parts of it, it also just felt like too much of a slog, and I couldn't see a point where I would round the corner. Conventional wisdom is that I should have stuck it out. I should have stayed with the show and never quit. But that would have also meant I would never have had the time to explore something else. Perhaps if I stuck with a few more episodes, I would have gotten out of the slog. But looking back, quitting that podcast was the right choice, and it eventually led me down the path of doing this podcast, something I enjoy far more. And that's the thing. We've got so many things in our lives that we can choose to do, but we've also only got so much time for those things. Everything that we choose to pursue extracts an opportunity cost of everything else that we could do. And so the mantra, never quit, just doesn't make sense. We've got to make sure that we're sticking with the things that are taking us down the path we want to go down. And we've got to quit the things that are leading us the wrong way. In his book, the dip. Seth Godin says there are two curves that we have to look at in any new venture. And by curves, we're talking about graph comparing results to effort. And so what we're looking for here is that the more time we put in, the better results we get. And if you're having trouble picturing these graphs, I've got some visuals on the show notes page that you can find at hackingyouradhd.com slash when to quit. So our first graph is what the book is named after, the dip. Usually when we start something new, there's an initial phase where things are fun. And they're easy. But after we get a hang of things, our curve tends to not just keep shooting off into the stars. Instead, we have a dip. This is the point where things get hard. This is the point where we start to realize what we don't know. And it's a long slog you have to go through before you get good at something. Our next graph is the cul de sac. And the cul de sac is just a dead end. It doesn't get a lot worse, but it doesn't get a lot better. Instead of getting more results as we put in more effort, we're just getting about the same effect. And we can use these ideas to think about quitting in proactive terms instead of reactive terms. Think about walking down an alley and realizing that it comes to a dead end. Do we want to walk all the way up to that wall, perhaps hoping there's some hidden egress, only to have to turn around once we get there? No, we want to find a new path as soon as we know that that path doesn't lead anywhere. And I'm sure there's many of you who are asking, okay, so I want to avoid a cul-de-sac, but what about things without a dip? What about the things that I do? that just get easier the entire time? Well, we actually want to lean into the dip. Everything worth doing has a dip. The dip creates scarcity in what we're doing. By having a level that we have to push through, we are doing something that other people aren't willing to do. Without the dip, everyone would be able to do it. For example, think of watching TV. There's no skill hurdle to watching TV. There's no competitive TV watching. It's just something you do. No matter the amount of effort you put in, You still tend to watch the same amount of TV. But compared to something like running, at the same time, there's very little barrier to entry to becoming a runner if you're an able-bodied person. But there's a dip to becoming a good runner, an even bigger dip to becoming a world-class runner. When we're able to embrace a dip, we're setting ourselves apart because we're doing something that other people aren't willing to do. Often one of our biggest problems with ADHD is that once we hit the dip, we're just inclined to quit. One of the clear reasons to me why this happened is that when we jump into new ideas, we don't think through the long-term implications. We think something like, oh, I want to write a book, but then we don't think through the implications that you don't write a book in a day, or even a week. There often is a real time commitment that we don't think about when we're starting a new project. And so when we hit that dip and our initial enthusiasm wears off, we're left wondering why we even started the project in the first place. And the problem with this is that if we always quit when we're in the dip, We're never going to be creating anything great. Sure, we might have some middling projects, but if we can't push through the hard stuff, we're never going to create stuff that really matters to us. So instead of quitting during the dip, we want to try and focus on quitting before we hit the dip. Whenever we're thinking about starting something new, we need to focus on thinking about what it's actually going to take to excel at doing it. Work on trying to find ways to test the waters instead of diving in headfirst. Let's say you're thinking of taking up windsurfing. A better option instead of just buying a windsurfing board is to rent one first. Test it out. And then before you even consider buying that board, see if you actually have the time to dedicate to your new sport. When are you going to be able to go? Are you going to have some sort of accountability to keep it up? And then also be sure to ask yourself about the things that would keep you from going. Do you have other commitments that would make it infeasible? And if we can slow down and ask these questions, it keeps us from starting things that we're never going to be able to finish. And so a big question that's going to come up with this is, how do we know if we're in a dip or a cul-de-sac? The first thing to understand here is that there's no clear-cut answer, because what might be a dip to one person might be a cul-de-sac to another. Think of it this way. The dip might require you to put in an extraordinary level of commitment. Think of someone trying to become an Olympic-level athlete. They're going to have to sacrifice a lot of other aspects of their life to train enough to get there. If you're not willing to make those sacrifices, then that dip is actually your cul-de-sac. Only you know how much effort you're willing to put into something, and if you're not willing to push past the dip, it might as well be a dead end. Okay, but how will I know how much I'll have to do before I get there? that's a fair question too, but the truth is that these are knowable things. With few exceptions, most things in life have been done by other people before. Someone else has gone through this dip before, and we can look at what it took for them to make it. Want to write that book? Look at what it took other authors to do to get there. At the same time, we've also got our own strengths and weaknesses, and so our situation will be somewhat unique. And so, while I know what it took for Brandon Sanderson to write his novels, it will probably take me a lot more effort because of my ADHD. But given all that, we can still ask ourselves some questions that will help guide our decision making. Am I making progress? Am I further along today than I was yesterday? Or do I have any new resources from when I started? Met new people who can help me, learned new skills. And if I had to start over, knowing what I do now? Would I still start? Asking questions like this can really help you figure out well, maybe this isn't a dip, maybe it is a cul de sac. I think the example of writing a novel can also really help hone these ideas here and show how we can really use these questions. If I've been writing and rewriting the same novel for years, it might be time for me to give up on it, at least temporarily, if I'm not seeing progress. Because remember, when we're working on one thing, it keeps us from using that time to work on anything else. And remember that we're not trying to give up when we hit the dip, we're just trying to find the cul-de-sacs here. So if I'm writing that novel, I should at least be trying to finish the first draft before giving up on it, because that first draft is a dip, and if I'm not willing to go through the dip of finishing that first draft, I should try and be brave enough to just not start, and instead invest my time in a place where I'm willing to go through the dip. And on top of all this, it's important to also think, maybe you just need a break instead of quitting. Sometimes the reason the slog feels like too much is because we haven't given ourselves enough time to recharge. And then after a break, if you're finding that the course you're on just isn't leading in the right direction, it might be time to call it quits. And while I'd love to have a roadmap for making these decisions, we should instead think about looking for a compass, because there is no set path for us. But if we can at least see that we're going in the right direction, then I think that's enough. We've got a lot of reasons that we don't quit when we should. Even with ADHD, we find ourselves sticking things out that we don't need to. Sometimes especially because of ADHD. Because I know I hate it when I fall into the expectation that I'm going to quit something. We'll be starting something new, and someone will blithely comment, Oh, how long is that going to last? And our rebellious streak will flare out, and we're going to keep doing the thing, hell or high water, because, well, now we've got to prove that person wrong. And that's a pretty piss-poor reason for us to be doing anything. And there are so many other reasons, and there are so many other reasons that we also just keep going. I remember in high school deciding to go to the movies with a friend. Now, I grew up in a small town in Hawaii. We didn't have a movie theater in town, so we drove 45 minutes to the bigger town near us. This was well before it was easy to look up things on the internet, so we didn't have a plan on what we were going to see, and ended up seeing Ashton Kutcher's rom-com Just Married. This turned out to be a poor choice. This wasn't a movie either of us really wanted to see, and it was pretty evident from the empty theater that no one else did either. So I remember that I just ended up lying across a number of seats because I was just so bored. But then the question here is, if we weren't enjoying the movie, why didn't we just leave? And this is the sunk cost fallacy. Because we spent the money on those movie tickets, we forced ourselves to sit through something we didn't want to watch. The way this fallacy works is that sunk cost is whatever you've already put into something. Money you've spent, time you've put in, or emotional energy. And in this case, it was the theater tickets we weren't getting that money back. I mean, maybe we could have complained, but that's not what we were going to do. So, since that money was already spent, it wasn't like we were going to get more value out of the tickets by staying in the theater. At this point, we were only investing more time into our venture because in our heads, we were going to waste that money we spent on the tickets if we didn't stay for the whole movie. But in truth, the money was already gone, and we just decided that we also needed to waste our time as well. Once we invest ourselves in something, It feels that much more valuable to us. This is one of the reasons we never look at all those free ebooks we downloaded when signing up for someone's newsletter. We didn't invest anything in it, so they don't feel valuable to us. And this additional value makes it harder for us to quit or walk out on things. We throw good money after bad because we don't want to waste our initial investment. But in many cases, you're never getting that initial investment back, and so it can be better to just call it quits. We also run into something called plan continuation bias and this is where we have this tendency to persist with a plan even if it isn't working. A fairly famous example of this is the Torrey Canyon oil spill, in which an oil tanker that ran aground after the captain persisted in taking a risky course rather than accepting the delays it would take to change the route. This is especially pertinent to ADHD because this bias often stems from when we incorrectly predict the amount of time something is going to take. And with time blindness, it is incredibly easy for us to be off with our time predictions. Even if we discover that our estimates were off, we'll try to stick with our initial plans. I've seen myself do this plenty of times, where I've decided I'm going to do two or three things right before I head out the door. I'll decide I'm going to shave, change the laundry, and fill the dishwasher real quickly. I've got a pretty good idea of how much time each of these things takes. But let's say I get a text in the middle of shaving, and I stop to answer that, and then I also discover that I have to move a bunch of laundry before putting mine in, and also the dishwasher needs to be unloaded before it can be filled again. All of my time estimates are completely wrong now but I might still stick with this idea that I need to do these three things before I leave, even though it's going to make me incredibly late at this point. And so this means that we've got to think about changing our plans when we realize they're not going to work. Because do I really need to change the laundry and fill the dishwasher? Maybe that can wait till I get home. Often our problem lies not in the fact that weighing all these factors is hard, but more from the fact that we don't even consider there might be another course of action. We keep going with projects despite setbacks, not because we've stepped back and looked at it objectively, but rather because that's what we're doing, and we just keep doing it. Often we quit things not because we've decided it's time to move on, but because we've lost interest and one day we just never picked it back up. Although, I'll add that the caveat with ADHD, sometimes we put a project down and we forget about it. But then one day we see it again and we think, well, I should really finish that. Maybe I'll put it on a to-do list. And then we let it fester in the back of our minds. We tell ourselves we shouldn't quit on that idea because it was a great idea when we thought of it. But sometimes we've got to let go of things we're never going to have time for. There are plenty of projects that I'm never going to get around to finishing, and it's better for me to let them go rather than carrying around the guilt of not finishing them. I don't have time for everything, so I've got to make sure I'm using my time for the things I really want to do. Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. One, we've got to give up the notion that winners never quit. Persistence doesn't guarantee success. We can persist at the wrong things forever and never make progress. Two, there are two curves we've got to look for when starting something new. The dip and the cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac is a dead end. The dip is the point where things start to get hard. We've got to stop quitting things when they get hard and embrace the dip. Three, we'll often stick out things we should quit. There are a lot of reasons that we might stick something out, like the sunk cost fallacy or the planning fallacy. Regardless of why we're sticking around, once we realize that we're in a dead end, we've got to accept that we need to quit and try something new. For those of you who are interested in further looking into this concept of the dip, I'd really encourage you to check out Seth Godin's book. I listened through on Audible, and it was only about 90 minutes. If you'd like to find links for these books, just go to the show notes page at hackingyouradhd.com slash when to quit. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hacking Your ADHD, or you can connect with me over at HackingYourADHD.com slash contact. If you'd like to support the show, you can also check out my Patreon at Patreon.com slash HackingYourADHD. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDrewired.com events. And now for your moment of dad. Shout out to people wondering what the opposite of in is.